Hey guys, before we jump in, I want to thank my friends over at Loam for sponsoring today's episode. One of the things I hear most often from the guys in our Dad Tired community is that they want to lead their family well, and yet they feel completely overwhelmed by the amount of things that hit their family calendar and their schedules each week. Between work, school, sports, extracurricular activities, there seems to be little room left for intentionality, and everything starts to feel really chaotic and exhausting. That's why I love what Loam has created through their digital family organizer. Think of Loam as your family's personal assistant, keeping everyone on track with everything from calendars to meal planning, intentional dinnertime conversations, and way more. You can toss out your old cork board or disorganized whiteboard or whatever you have going on on your fridge, (laughs) trade it in for the beautifully designed digital organizer that the whole family can use. My favorite part about Loam is that it was actually created by two Christian dads who happen to be dad-tired listeners and totally understand the realities that us tired dads are facing. There are way too many features for me to list here, so make sure to go over to withloam.com forward slash dad tired to sign up for a forever free account. Again, that's withloam, L-O-M-E dot com forward slash dad tired to sign up for a forever free account today. Andy and Sandra, so glad to have you guys here with us on the Dad Tired Podcast. Obviously, you guys have given a lot of wisdom to a lot of people over the years, but I'm personally excited to just jump in and pick your brain on parenting and specifically your new book on parenting. I'd love to hear, you know what's interesting, actually, before I even say our introduction here, I was reading through some people who gave great endorsements of this book of yours, but my favorites were your children who gave these, these endorsements. <laughs> I just have to read some of these because I think as fellow parents who are listening, these are going to be hilarious. These are endorsements for your book from your kids. One of your son, Andrew, said, my parents are attempting to profit from my mistakes, so it only seemed fair that I would profit from theirs, which is awesome. Yeah. Garrett said, my parents are great at parenting. They're not so great at coming up with marketable book titles, which was also yeah. hilarious. <laughs> and then Ali said, I love this book primarily because all the negative illustrations are about my brothers. Um, so I think that just uh, that makes all of us dad tired guys feel very much yeah. at ease. But anyway, what made you want to write a book on parenting? Honestly, Jared, I was a little hesitant because I feel like when you write a book on parenting, everybody's going to expect that you were perfect parents and you have perfect kids. Mm. And that could not be further from the truth. We are nowhere near perfect parents and our kids were not perfect. But I think that's what makes it authentic and real is being able to kind of dive in and share that. But for the sake of the listeners, our kids are, our oldest is Andrew. He's 30. He just got married in September to Anna. Garrett is 28. He's married to Danielle. He's been married about five years. And Allie has been married two years to Clay. And they just had a baby. So we've got our first grandbaby. But Andrew is a comedian, you know, since you read those the reason behind his funny comment there. So he's a comedian, Garrett's in marketing, and Allie and Clay are both in ministry. Yeah, so that's our family. And we feel like we're at the other end of the parenting journey, kind of looking back. And if we didn't know our kids and we met them, we'd want to be friends with them. And I think that led us to maybe think about writing down some stuff that we learned along the way. Yeah, and the subtitle to the book is Getting It Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about this, but we felt like in terms of the it that we were parenting toward, we are basically, we're reaping what we sowed all those years. And again, there's so many books on parenting. There's so many great books on parenting. We've read so many books on parenting. Mm. We feel like our contribution to the conversation is to challenge parents to think about what their it is, what their win is. And we're at a season where we feel like we're benefiting from that process and just wanted to share that Mm. with parents who were interested in 
Um, I love the fact that you are addressing dads in particular, because yeah. obviously we play such a, a central role. Mm-hmm. And generally, dads do not read books on parenting right. and don't want to listen to podcasts on parenting. It's left to the the wife and the mother. And that's unfortunate because obviously we are a big part of the equation. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of dads who are listening to this show and to this podcast. And one of the things that is going to be curious to them is when you say getting it right, like, can you unpack that for us? What is it? What do you mean by getting it right? Dive into that for us. So at the very beginning of our parenting journey, we were actually driving to Hilton Head to our annual family vacation with my family. And we had a little infant in the back seat in his little car seat. And so we're talking about parenting, like, what is this going to look like? And what do we do? And we don't know what we're doing. And so we were talking about, do we need to set some goals? You know, what do we need to do? And Andy said, I know what I want our family to end up looking like. Mm. I want our family to end up looking like your family, because in my family, We are so family-centric as adults. I mean, we weren't perfect either growing up, but as adults, we love being with our parents, talking about my siblings. My Mm -hmm. siblings and I love being with our parents and we love being with each other. So we look for opportunities to be together. We never dread family vacation or holidays or any of that stuff where we're together. And Andy just thought that is unique and that's what I want. So our it became having a relationship at the end of the parenting journey where our kids love to be with us and love to be with each other, even when they don't have to be anymore. And again, that was so normal and natural for her because of the way her family was structured. For her, it's like, well, yeah, duh, this is normal. I'm like, no, it's not normal. I didn't experience that. And everybody in my family was Christian and professional Christians. And I recognize the uniqueness and I realized, and, and this is what the book's about, that if that's the it, if that's the win or the one that we chose, and we'll talk about that in a minute, then we obviously have to parent in that direction because just because, hey, that'd be a happy place to land someday, that required some intentionality and it required me to rethink discipline, uh, uh, several things that, that kind of have to break some patterns that I would normally kind of just do what my parents had done maybe because mm-hmm. I thought, hey, I turned out okay. Mm-hmm. So Defining it when so at the beginning of the book, we challenge parents to say, look, you are parenting in a direction of some sort, and you will either choose that direction, you'll choose that win, or life will choose it for you. And because parenting is so chaotic and it's so busy, most parents, and this isn't a criticism, never stop and ask the question, what is the win? Yeah. Is it just behavior modification? Is it NFL, Broadway? Is it, hey, that our kids don't embarrass us publicly? Is it grades? I mean, when all is said and done, what's the win? And now on this side of all of that in this season, we are so extraordinarily grateful that we parented with the relationship in mind. Obviously, Mm school is important. All those things are important. But at the end of the day, parenting with the relationship in mind so that the hope being that our kids would enjoy being with each other and with us when they no longer had to be. We're experiencing that now. And this sounds a little harsh. I'm convinced that in this season, if you don't have it, you probably can't get it. Mm. And so what parents do in the meantime, again, everybody's parenting in a direction, Mm -hmm. for sure, choose it. We recommend you at least consider this it or this win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're talking about that specifically, you're talking about the relationship side of things. I know one thing you talk about in the book is like figuring out how you discipline your kids based on that goal. And which is new for many of us young parents, because we're just kind of disciplining, trying to get behavior under yeah. control immediately. So, yeah. but when you're thinking through, when, you, when you're talking about in the book, disciplining based on the end goal of relationship, like unpack that for us, for those young dads and young, there's moms in here too, who are, who are listening. It's like, I don't really know what to do 
when it comes to discipline. I'm just trying to get the quickest fix out of my kids as possible so that they'll just listen to what I say quickly. Well, let me set it up and you can share the illustration. Okay, sure. So here's the thing. When you parent toward relationship, that means we have to teach our kids how to develop a relationship and restore a relationship when it's broken. We all know adults who do not know how to fix a relationship when it breaks. We all know people who are in relationships with between them and a parent, them and a brother or a sister. And we look at it and we think, well, goodness, just fix that. Just go talk to them. Just go work this out. And it's like they really don't know how. No one ever taught them or modeled for them. How do you restore a broken relationship? So every time and we talk, we go into detail about this in the book. Every time a child misbehaves at some level, they have damaged or broken a relationship. Hmm. Our tendency is not to see that and to go right to the behavior modification. We're going to take things away, put you in timeout, take away the punish. keys, punish, whatever it might be. But when you parent with a relationship in mind, you ask the question, what relationship did this behavior damage? And what does our child need to do to restore the relationship? Because it's restoration. Oftentimes, it's restitution. What did I take that I need to replace? So when that becomes the framework, it impacts everything. And in the book, we give some illustrations about when our kids were younger. But I I knew we were going to talk about this. And I asked Sandra if she would share one illustration because it has to do with dads dads and teenagers, which Mm. those teenage years are so difficult to know how to discipline our kids. But here's a great illustration of restoring a relationship as opposed to just taking things away. Right. So this is an older, you know, our son who (laughs) did this offense was a little bit older. So, and we've got some great illustrations of younger too, but this to me was Andy's finest parenting moment, I thought. Well, so it really illustrates, I think the heart of this whole idea of restitution and, and parenting with the relationship in mind and relationships in mind. But when one of our sons was just driving, just barely driving. 16. He was, he was, there's a whole thing with his truck and driveway and all this. Anyway, he was so disrespectful to me. So Andy, when Andy got Tell him how it ended. Well, she was in the driveway and she was talking to him and he just slowly rolled up the window while she's talking (laughs) to him, backs out and drives away. It was that bad. Which I thought to myself, do you have a death wish? (laughs) I feel like you have a death wish. And so I just sort of smiled and walked back in the house. And of course, you know, Andy gets home. I'm like, you're not even going to believe this. So he was livid. Andy was livid, which was really hard to make Andy mad. Really hard. Anyway, so... He gets on. So Andy, you know, Andy has a conversation kind of with Garrett and and says, you know, I'm going to decide, you know, give me some time. I got to decide what I'm going to do about this. I don't even know what I'm going to do because I can't even believe that this happened. And so instead of taking truck keys, instead of taking phones, instead of grounding, you know, all the the things that I think are typical go-tos for parents, what Andy decided was he sat down with Garrett a day or so later and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You are going to ask your mom out on a date. Mm. And you are going to take her to a nice restaurant and you're going to buy her dinner with your money and you are going to ask for her forgiveness and you're going to restore that relationship. This is one of the most important relationships in your life. And we're not, this is a big, big deal. So Garrett was, you know, his response was like, dad, anything else, just please just take Mm, my truck. You know, (laughs) that's what his expression was. But what he actually said was, yes, sir. Yeah, (laughs) He knew, he knew. knew. He knew this was it. So he actually came up to me and he said, hey, mom, would you let me take you out to dinner? 
Wow. So we can talk about what happened. And I was like, no, I'm mad. So no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have my heart melted in a puddle. Yeah. And so we went and sat in a restaurant. He drove me. We sat in a restaurant. We ordered dinner. We had a conversation and he's just looking at me right in the eye. And he said, mom, I was, I'm so sorry wow. that I was so disrespectful. Would you please forgive me? And I said, of course. And, you know, so the whole thing was this experience. It wasn't just a punishment. It wasn't just a, you know, you're going to learn a lesson from this. It was a, Garrett, you broke one of the most important relationships of your life. There's a break there. Mm -hmm. And here's how you're going to fix it. You're going to restore the relationship. And, you know, for a teenage 16, 17 year old boy, you know, using his own wallet is a big mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. But I think the the whole emotional response to it was so healing for both of us. And and part of what we talk about in the book, and we give illustrations of this in different seasons of life, this approach to discipline requires more time yeah. and requires far more creativity. Right. Yeah. But again, because the the go-to is take things, you know, go to your room, take the door, your video systems, you know, I mean, your PlayStations, all that stuff. But again, if our children can learn young that ever their rule is broken or they're disrespectful or they lie, they've broken a relationship. So anytime we can tie the discipline to restoration, it's a win. And we're training them how to do an important life skill. And for all the dads out there, just to let you know how important this is, one day, one of your kids, your children is going to perhaps break a relationship with their husband or their wife or one of your grandchildren. Mm. And if they, and you are teaching them a life skill that's going to serve them for the rest of their life, not only is it going to serve you and your relationship with them for the rest of their life, and where are they going to learn it? Because again, we've all met adults who just don't know how to fix a relationship. So this is so important. But the way we stumbled upon this was asking the question, okay, if we are parenting toward relationship, that means we have to discipline toward a relationship. And it means our rule, the rules in our home have to be based on relationships. So as we talk about in the book, when our kids were young, we just had two rules, respect your mother and honor don't mom. tell a lie. Yeah. Honor mom, excuse me, honor mom and don't tell a lie. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the reasons behind both of those were relational. You honor mom, which is hundred mm-hmm. percent relational. And the reason we don't tell a lie is lying breaks a relationship. And those two overarching rules cover a multitude of other sins. And again, did our best to try to tie it all back to that. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about stages of parenting in a minute. But one of the things in this season when the kids are a little bit older is you don't have to immediately discipline like you do when Mm -hmm. they're younger. So Mm -hmm. if you need to take a minute to walk away and go, you know what, son, daughter, you know, whoever, I don't know how I'm going to respond to this. I didn't see this coming. So you're going to have to give us a minute to figure out what we're going to do. You can buy yourself some time with your older kids and say, we'll circle back tomorrow and talk about what the punishment, what the restoration is going to look like. The story with the truck that we just told, honestly, so many days went by before I approached Garrett with that idea because I really did not know what to do. And I was so mad. I wanted to take everything away. Mm. Sandra began to wonder are you really, she was like, are you going to, and all of a sudden she feels like I've kind of left her out there spinning in the wind. Like, I'm just going to go on. I'm like, are you, I'm like, Hey, I don't know what to do yet. So, and of course the more time that went by, you know, our son knew I had not forgotten, but this is also a life lesson because as you know, Jared, as everybody in your audience knows in the real world, you can break a law 
and you may not go to court for months or a year. So there's not an automatic response. When their kids are young, it's important that we do that. So that waiting time until, you know, I could calm down and until I could come up with an appropriate response that was relational rather than punishment and just mm -hmm. taking things away. So that that time in between. Sometimes that's important. Sometimes it's uh, necessary. Yeah. And it's a big deal. The stakes get higher the older they get. So you really want to take the time to do this the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, the only way that that would make sense, you're pausing and waiting, is if you had an end goal in mind that you're trying to align your emotions and feelings toward. And I think that's where a lot of us young dads get stuck because you broke a rule in our house and yeah. we're going to quickly react. But I think a, a lot of us dads would do well to say, okay, this is how does this what I'm about to do makes sense for the end goal for our family. Yeah, right, What's right. the end goal here? But you talked about, because you, you said there's different stages. I'm curious to pick your brain on that. You said there's four stages of parenting. What yeah. do you, like, what are yeah. they? <laughs> for those of us who've yeah, got so, young ones at home, what are the stages and how do we parent so through them? We didn't come up with this on our own. We've heard it from a number of people in the past. So many of your listeners probably have too. But when we talk about the four stages of parenting or the four seasons of parenting, the first one is the discipline years. This mm. is kind of zero to five years old. And these are the years where we're teaching our kids for their safety and their good that they've got to obey. And we're teaching them their consequences mm. for their actions. And this is a season where consistency is the key. And also we need to act immediately because, you know, the younger they are, the harder it is for them to keep in mind and for us to circle back. You know, they may not even remember what they did. So that's the discipline years, zero to five. The training years are five to 12 years old. And these are a little different because these are the years where we're putting the why behind the what mm. with um, our discipline. And they're beginning to be able to reason so we can reason with them. We can explain the why behind the what. And we're kind of explaining while we're training. Mm -hmm. And so that's the five to 12. Can I say one thing about yeah. that? And to dads in particular, it's called training because we're teaching them how to do things rather than, and this is the thing where us dads mess up, rather than expecting them to know how to do things just because we've asked them to do things. That's good. And for any of you who've coached baseball or coached one of your kids or watched dad coaches, you see this all the time. The dad is so mad at his son or his daughter when they're on the field because they can't do whatever it is the dad thinks they should do as the dad coach. And I would always wonder, because I coach so much baseball, I would always wonder, how much time do you spend at home yeah. practicing with your son or softball practicing with your daughter, because if you're not going to train them, you can't show up at the game and expect from them. That's well, good. this is true in terms of how kids behave in restaurants. We practiced they, everything. We, I mean, we made the training years. everything a game. If we were going to have guests over, I would literally go outside, knock on the door. They would come to the door and practice opening the door, wow. welcoming by name. Getting their hand out there to shake right. it with. Yeah. Because if we don't train, we just expect. And if you expect without training, you frustrate your kids. Yeah. Wow. And so the training years aren't simply just about rule keeping. It's about we're going to practice. Again, when you're at a restaurant and you watch a kid melting down in a restaurant, misbehaving, this is a family generally, unless there's some other issue, who's never trained their child how to behave at the table at home. And one of the things that constantly happened to us that surprised us is how often parents or older people would come up to us at the table at a restaurant and say, your kids are so well behaved, which we didn't even think about, but this is how they behave at home as well. So again, those training years aren't just rule keeping, it's training in order to keep the rules and explaining why. So go ahead. That's yeah. helpful. So yeah. Third season. Yeah. 
And then the coaching years are basically 12 to 18. This is where we're more sitting on the sidelines, kind of like a coach does. We're coaching them while they are learning to make some important decisions on their own. And like a coach, there are times that we yank them off the field for a minute, let Mm. them kind of figure some stuff out. But we're letting them experience more natural consequences for their actions at this point. We don't swoop in and try to save them from everything. We let them experience the full force of natural consequences Mm. for their behaviors This is the season where we are so focused on connection over correction. Mm. So connection in this season is so important. You want your teenagers to keep talking to you. You want to have an influence in your teenagers' lives. You have to connect and not always just be focused on correcting in that season. And then the friendship years is kind of where we are now, 18 and on. You know, this is just a season where you begin reaping some benefits of that hard work in those other seasons. and, And that's been kind of fun for us. And to enjoy now. And this goes to, um, Sandra just referenced it. Parenting is the law of the harvest. It's not the law of the final exam. You can cram for an exam and do okay. You can't cram when it comes to parenting. Mm-hmm. It really is sowing and reaping. And these four seasons or stages are so important because we spent 10 years together doing student ministry with middle school and high school students. And we saw some extraordinary parents and we saw every other kind of parent and every other kind of parenting style you can imagine. And one of the things that we saw was that parents who skipped or skimmed on those one of those early two stages, when their kids got into middle school, then they started disciplining, then they started Mm -hmm. training. And it's it's I don't want to say it's too late, but it's so late. It's not well received. anymore. It's not (laughs) well received. Right. And now they're trying to play catch up. So, again, those discipline years are super important. The training years, because you have their undivided attention. In the training years, we just turn things yeah. into games. In the training years, everything is fun and nothing is dumb. Yeah. And in the coaching years, everything is dumb and nothing is yeah, fun. Right. So <laughs> in their so, minds. Again, it's sowing yeah. and reaping yeah. and it's the law of the harvest. So yeah, I'm interested to hear because you talk about that 12 to 18 season of life for parenting. And I think you answered this in a roundabout way, but maybe just speak to it directly. How do you cultivate an environment where you get the 12 to 18-year-old to sit down and talk with you about what they're feeling or their behavior or the decisions they've made? Like so many of us know teenagers and a lot of us young parents are fearful of having a teenager that just shuts down completely and you can't pull right, anything out. Or we were out a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. were a teenager. We, were, we know how we felt. Yeah. Now this is yeah. so, so we, we do talk so about important. this a lot in the book. So I'll yeah. tell you about Andrew, then you can talk about dinner yeah. time. But so Andrew, our oldest, is very introverted. He's our comedian, very introverted. Mm-hmm. And he would come home from school, especially ninth grade, and just go up to his room and then show up for dinner if we, you know, ask three times. Mm-hmm. So finally, I said to Andrew, I said, Andrew, when you get home from school, I want you to at least make a noise towards your mother. Just acknowledge <laughs> yeah. your mother as you turn and head yeah. up the stairs because he wasn't doing anything intentional. He's just in his own head and he's yeah. introverted and he's in the ninth grade. So again, this was, mm-hmm. hey, just bring this to your attention. This isn't a discipline thing. Right. This is just an opportunity to bring them out. Right. But where we felt like we were able to win, back to the question you just asked, was around the dinner table. Yes. Do you want to talk yes. about that? Let me say one more thing about the way that that manifested with Andrew. Each of our kids are completely different from each other, and they mm-hmm. each hit that season of life where their hormones are changing, their brains are changing, you know, all the things are happening. And they, and they all it manifests so differently in each one of them. So for Andrew, he went to his room for three years. And for Garrett, <laughs> Garrett, it came out more in rage 
And mm. there would be times that I would say to Garrett, I need you to just go up to your room and scream as loud as you can into your pillow mm. and then come back down and let's have that conversation. Mm. For Allie, it came in tears. You know, for girls, often that's the case, but not always. For her, it was tears. And I remember telling her before she even hit that season, Allie, there's going to come a time where you're going to start crying and you don't even know why. Mm. And it's just going to be the be what happens. And, and sure enough, that was what happened. She's like, I think this is that thing you told me about. <laughs> So, but and I had just, to, and dads, I had to make myself not say what's wrong because she didn't know, or yeah. why are you crying? She yeah. doesn't know. You just, this you, just fixable, you just sit yeah. in it with. Okay, her. I got three daughters. I'm tucking Love that her. in the back. I got three of my girls. Okay. Gonna... yeah, you know, Jared, you know. So, but but to what Andy was just talking about, one of the I think sort of forums that we had where we just feel like we were able to invest in this was around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And through every season of our parenting, we made dinner time a huge priority. And it did look different in each season. You know, in that coaching season later on, they were getting jobs and they were busy with school stuff after school and in the evening and all that. So I just tried to be a student of our calendar and recognize which nights we could have dinner. Mm -hmm. And I would text all of our kids and I'd say, hey, this week, mandatory dinner on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday night. And we would just make sure we had that opportunity. And around the dinner table is where you connect with your kids. And it's not weird. So you're not cornering them, trying to get them to talk about something. You're just having family conversation. And you'll have some that are more expressive than others. And, you know, you figure out that dynamic of how to get everybody involved in a conversation. But I feel like that was really yeah. one of our big, big things that invested in our kids in connection in those kind of middle school, high school years. Especially middle school and high school. And we never had family devotions. I'm not against them. We just never mm -hmm. had formal family devotions. But I would often, not every night, come to the dinner table with a question or something I would read. Sometimes I'd bring an email home that somebody sent, you know, some pastor. Usually you get, somebody that would just have just all about some horrible sin and there's consequences. <laughs> and he's like, here, guys, let me read you. Look what sin did to their, and they're like, yeah, no, seriously, I because it's yeah. interesting. And then you just toss out the question. And we learned this from Shanti Feldhahn in a book that she wrote years ago. Yeah. Her rule with middle school and high school kids, especially, was don't freak out, don't freak out. So we had, I mean, no matter what they said, there was no correction. There was no, mm -hmm. no, son, have you ever thought about no, that? We were just poker face. The goal was to <laughs> keep them talking. Right. Nothing's off limits. We aren't going to freak out. It's going to be like, oh, so then after the started on fire, then, <laughs> then what did you do? You know, it's just, this is... Yeah. We're just not going to shut that down. And yeah. so as many of the dads listening know, it's amazing what your children will tell you if you don't freak out and if yeah. you don't mm -hmm. shut them down. Because we wanted this to be, it's to your point, we wanted them to talk. And we found the dynamic with the five of us was easier than the one-on-one -on -one, unless there was, you know, something specific. To but also being a student of your kids was a big deal in keeping them talking. I knew with Andrew that if I would sit down, just take a minute and watch a Braves game with him or mm. something that some yep. sports thing, he would start talking. That was mm. his comfortable place. And I could get him talking about things with Garrett if it was always at night at bedtime, he would talk as long as I would scratch his back. I mean, I would Me scratch too. as long as it took. <laughs> and so I'd just scratch his back and just gently just chat. And he would end up telling me all kinds of things. With Allie, she would come in the door from school and she would just burst with all of the things that happened during mm. the day and tell me everything in that moment. But if I was not there when she got home from school and she got up to her room, she's not going to do that. 
So mm. her talk time was coming in the door, mom, you're not going to believe what happened. Blah, 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 blah. Where again, if I, I mean, I made it my major to be home when she got home from school, because I knew that was the time that she would talk. So being a student of your kids and figuring out, you know, yeah. what the environment is that keeps them talking. That's another big, big piece of communicating one with them thing. in that season. One more thing to add to this. We, like many parents, always prayed with our kids at night. And when they got older, I won't go into the details of why we did this. It's in the book. It's very interesting. We instituted stair prayer, which doesn't mean we stared at each other. We actually met on the stairs. So when they were old enough and had homework and schedules were a little bit random, at some point, Sandra and I would just call out at 8 o'clock or 8.30, okay, stair prayer, whatever you're doing, drop it, whatever you're watching, hit pause, hit pause mm-hmm. come to the stairs, and we would sit and we would have prayer time. Now, don't imagine the Stanley family having worship time and deep conversation. No. Sometimes this was me with a 30-second prayer, back to your rooms, you know, get ready for whatever. But we always had stair prayer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in those moments also, something would happen or something would come out that was mm-hmm. personal. And again, you just create the space and mm-hmm. just let it happen. But we always wanted to pray with our kids. And it was important to us that we pray together. Again, most of the time, it was just one of us that prayed, but from time to time, one of them would, sometimes we all would. That just kind of kept that little bit of a conversational piece going. You know, sometimes it was an overflow of something we talked about at dinner. (laughs) The worst thing I ever did was, (laughs) this was a terrible idea. I mean, there are five of us. We're all kind of sitting up and down on the stairs. School, high school. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I said, tonight, I want everybody to pray for the person on their left. And immediately, all three of our children stood up and started moving around to sit next to somebody else because they didn't want to pray for the person to their left. They were trying to squeeze in between us. I'm like, never mind, sit down. I said a short prayer, sent them all to the Perfectly behaved children that they were. So, yes, just want to put a little normal spin on Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, one thing I'm picking up is that, you know, so much of this is just the intentionality to create the space. You know, I think a lot of dads, we just feel stuck like, man, I, okay, I need a theology degree and I need to read 10 more books. And I got, but so much of what I'm hearing you say is just creating the space. Like I'm going to be home when my daughter gets home. I'm going to go upstairs and rub the back. I'm going to say the prayer time, you know, whatever it is, but it's just like create the environment and see how God works in that. Am I picking that up? Right. Is is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. The other thing that stuck out to me in our conversation, and, and you know, we're running out of time here, so I'll wrap this up. But I'm really curious about this because Sandra, you said in this conversation one thing that Andy did really well, and I think that that stuck out to me because I think a lot of I'll speak for the men. I think a lot of men we go to work and we can get quick success marks, right? Like you did a good job, you met your quota, whatever it is. But sometimes we go home and we don't know if we're doing a good job. And it really mm-hmm. stuck out to me how you said. This was one of his good parenting moments. I think it would be awesome for spouses to have that intentionality. But I know in your book, you guys wrote a chapter about marriage, even though it's a parenting book. I'd love to, as we close out our time just here, like, why was that so important to you to to sneak in a marriage chapter in the middle of a parenting book? Well, I think in the craziness of family life, you know, marriages can kind of get put on the back burner a little bit Mm -hmm. because we're always, you know, we're always putting our focus on the squeakiest wheel. And usually our kids are our squeakiest wheels. So, you know, a lot of parenting focus goes there. And we just both realized early on our marriage is going to last way beyond our kids being in this house with us. And so we we decided that we would be the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. 
And so we just decided to parent our kids and do our whole parenting journey in a way where our marriage is still a priority. Mm. So we had several best practices that we focused on during those heavy duty parenting years. And one of them was we just decided twice a year or so we are going to get out of town by ourselves without mm. kids for, you know, two nights maybe or, or a little longer if we could. And we just made that a priority, an absolute priority. And I think it was so good for our kids to see that, yeah. that we were willing to do the hard work on the front end and especially moms, but dads too, you know, that to get ready to go out of town when you're in the process, you're like, is this even worth it yeah. <laughs> to do all the things I've got to do on the front end to be able to be gone for two or three days? But it was so worth it. That was a mm. huge best practice as it related to our marriage. The other one that I think is a huge one was we have never not been in small group mm. with other adults in our same season of life and mm. even now. So from the time before we had kids to now, we have been in small group and it has been such a powerful thing for us in our marriage mm. to pull away from our kids every Monday night, to be with these other families, with these other couples and doing parenting curriculum together or just talking about our struggles, praying together, praying for each other. Powerful, powerful thing for our marriage as it related to continuing ed. Yeah. In, in, in our and we community. we hosted we hosted our small group many years, mm-hmm. and our kids knew Monday night, mom and dad has small group. Go upstairs, don't bother us. This is our time, mm-hmm. and they experienced us prioritizing small group and prioritizing our marriage in that way, and continuing to learn. And um, consequently, they're. Yeah. They're small group people and lead small yeah. groups. It's just wow. part of the, you know. The interesting thing, though, is both of those things are counterintuitive to yeah. parenting. Because especially in those busy time. years, especially in those right. busy years. They're yeah. a sacrifice of time, but they are a sacrifice that is so worth making yeah. and finding some space somehow by, you know, moving the chess pieces on the board to be sure that you have that time for each other yeah. and that time we feel like yeah. in small groups. And so, dads, I just say this, perhaps the greatest gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. Yeah. Mm. Because a healthy marriage is relational and navigating the complexity of marriage relationship is a gift and allowing them to see how it's done. Um, We only had the two overarching rules. I talk about those in detail in the book. And one of our overarching rules, as I said, was honor mom. And for them to see me doing that as well as requiring them to do that, again, that said something to them about their future relationships as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the marriage piece is it's huge. And there are no perfect marriages either. It's yeah. like no perfect kids. Even watching them seeing us restore a fracture or a break in terms of conversation or our relationship, all of that, it's, it's part of parenting, an important part. Yep. Yeah. Well, I wish that I could just sit with you in that small group every week and just keep picking your brains as a, as a dad <laughs> with a young kids because, man, there's so much wisdom here. But thankfully, you wrote it all down in a book. So we'll encourage all of our listeners, go pick up a copy of parenting, getting it right. I know it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that down on paper. And thank you for taking the time to hang out with us today. It's been really, really fun. Thank you guys. Thank you, Jared. Thank Thank you you for having us. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the episode, The Fight That Changed Everything. We released it on December 12th, 2022. It lays out where we plan to go as a ministry in the next 12 to 18 months and specifically how you can and should get involved. Again, it's called The Fight That Changed Everything. We released it on December 12th, 2022. Go back and listen to it right now so that you can jump into what we have going on. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. 